Hey everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you so much for joining me this week. My name is Abby Rancor, your host, in case anyone is new. Thank you all for being here this week. So <clears throat> today I wanted to talk about uh, Afghanistan and what is happening over there, what the history of us being involved in Afghanistan is, because we've been over there for 20 years, and I know a lot of people, most people I think, have been watching the news about what's been happening you know, the last couple of weeks, um, today was the deadline of American troop withdrawal from Af Afghanistan, but reports are coming out that there's still a few hundred um, Americans stranded at the airport. I just read an article that said um, the Taliban have secured the entire airport. They are now um, like in charge of it, I guess. And so the last military plane just left. But the Sacramento School District, like among others, um, there was apparently like a school trip to Afghanistan when all this happened. I don't really know why people would take a school trip to Afghanistan as like Taliban was marching across the country, but they did. And those students are apparently still uh, stuck there. So, I mean, the news has just been awful coming out of Afghanistan. Um, Taliban just marched across the country, took over. There was that suicide bomber. 13 of our Marines died. It's just been terrible, terrible, terrible to watch. And I've noticed that so many people who were all, you know, posting so much about Trump and Trump's tweets and all of that are just silent now. Like, I, I don't hear anything from the liberals that are usually loud about Afghanistan. And I'm sure like it's because their guy that they voted in is in charge when all this is happening and, you know, whatever. But I just, it's silent. It's like deafening silence from, from the other side, it seems. I mean, I know there's some people speaking up about it and stuff, but from most of the people that I know on the left, it has been completely silent. So I wanted to research Afghanistan, what we kind of were doing there, because we've been there again for like 20 years. I am 25. So we went over there when I was five. And so I don't know like the actual history of why America went, what we were doing there, like the major events that have led up to now and why we are withdrawing. So I'm still kind of forming my opinion about all this. <clears throat> so I know that like Dan Crenshaw, who's a Republican um, senator, talks is not in the like, let's end never ending wars thing. He was like, basically saying that any Republican who ran on let's end these never ending wars sort of spiel, um, he's saying like, hey, this is <clears throat> exactly what you wanted. This was going to happen either way because there was a power vacuum, like unless America stayed there, this was going to happen. <clears throat> then I've heard other people say that the withdrawal strategy between what Trump was going to do and what Biden was going to do was different. And Biden's withdrawal strategy led to this, um, whereas Trump's, they don't think it would have. I don't know. There's really probably no way to know. Um, however... It is interesting. I'm still trying to formulate kind of my opinion on that part of it. But in the meantime, I wanted to look up the history and kind of understand why we're even over there, like in the first place. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go over the history. And I found this great article that I'm probably just going to read through and talk about my thoughts about each section because um, it's a very, very comprehensive article about the history of the last 
20 years. So let's get into it. Okay, so like I said, I found this article on Afghanistan. Um, It is from CFR, let me see, yeah, CFR.org. It's a timeline of the entire um, conflict in Afghanistan. So let's get over to that. All right, so this says the U.S. war in Afghanistan, 1999 to 2021. So... 1999 is when it first starts, October 15th, 1999. It says an Al-Qaeda and Taliban nexus. This says the United Nations Security Council adopts Resolution 1267, creating the so-called Al-Qaeda and Taliban Sanctions Committee, which links the two groups as terrorist entities and imposes sanctions on their funding, travel, and arms shipments. The UN move the UN move to follow... Wait, what? <laughs> I don't know why I just self-destructed reading this, but it's okay. So the UN move follows a period of ascendancy for Al-Qaeda and its leader, Osama bin Laden, who guided the terror group from Afghanistan and Pakistan in the late 1980s to Sudan in 1991 and back to Afghanistan. The Taliban, which rose from the ashes of the Afghanistan's post-Soviet civil war, provides provides Al-Qaeda sanctuary for operations. Okay, so... Osama bin Laden was still the leader, or was already the leader at the time that we entered, and sounds like the Taliban and Al-Qaeda were kind of moving around, but they kind of settled in Afghanistan by 1999. Okay, 2001, September 9th, so this is two days, obviously, before September 11th. In 2001, it said the commander of the Northern Alliance, Ahmed Massoud, an anti-Taliban coalition, is assassinated by Al-Qaeda operatives. The killing of Massoud a master of the guerrilla warfare known as the Lion of the Panjshir deals a serious blow to the anti-Taliban resistance. Okay. Terrorism experts believe his assassination assured Osama bin Laden protection by the Taliban after the 9-11 attacks. Okay. Um, wait, how would that work? So Masood, commander of the Northern Alliance. Oh, okay. So the, an anti-Taliban coalition member was killed um, which helped, I see, the alliance between Al-Qaeda and the Taliban after 9-11. Okay, so then 9-11 happens. I think most people are familiar with uh, 9-11. There were uh, four commercial airliners cra- uh, hijacked, and two of them crashed in the World Trade Center. Um, one of them was in a field, and one of them was, in, was at the Pentagon. And they think the one in the field... Um, was meant to go for the White House, but the uh, people on board fought back. So, yeah, this this reminds me, I watched uh, United 93, which is the story of the one that crashed in the field when I was too young to watch it. I think I was like 10 or 11, and I had a nightmare that... Um, <clears throat> that I was on a pl- like on the plane, and I slept, walked into the bathroom. Like, if you have kids, maybe... Maybe don't have them watch it. I begged to watch that movie and my parents said like, no, you're not old enough. But then I convinced them through, you know, many weeks to say like, I am old enough. It's a historical event. Like I should know. And then, yeah, I was not ready. So um, not the best, but okay. September 18th, 2001, George W. Bush signs into law a joint resolution authorizing the use of force against those responsible for attacking the United States. 
The joint resolution will later be cited by the Bush administration as legal rationale for its decision to take sweeping measures to combat terrorism, from invading Afghanistan to eavesdropping on U.S. citizens without a court order to standing at the detention camp at Guantanamo Bay. Okay, the eavesdropping on U.S. citizens without a court order. I think I was reading about this in the... When I did the history of World War One. I, I mean, it's obviously a different thing, but it's the, the same sentiment is like in wartime the government feels this obligation or this just permission pass to to like completely overstep the liberties of the country so like i think it was in world war (coughs) one whoa where they did the you could basically open up anyone's mail and make sure they weren't conspiring against the country and then like in this, after 9-11, they, were, they started eavesdropping on U.S. citizens without a court order and like bugging them and stuff, I, I believe. Um, and I do not like that. I mean, I know that there are some safety concerns and um, things like that, but I always like to take <clears throat> freedom over safety concerns. I don't like just taking away people, people's liberties in the, you know, in the name of safety. Because, like, all these 9-11 security measures, after, like, on planes, I think they were supposed to be temporary at first, and they just never go away. And now I'm paying, like, the 9-11 security fee every time I order a ticket on a plane. So, I don't like that at all. Okay, October 7th, 2001, the U.S. military, with British support, begins a bombing campaign against Taliban forces officially launching Operation Enduring Freedom. I've heard of this, but I had never known what it was. Um, Canada, let's see, Canada, Australia, Germany, and France pledge future support. The war's early phase mainly involves U.S. airstrikes on Al-Qaeda and Taliban forces that are assisted by a partnership of about 1,000 U.S. Special Forces, the Northern Alliance, and the ethnic... Pashtun anti-Taliban forces. The first wave of conventional ground forces arrived 12 days later. Most of the ground combat is between Taliban and Afghan opponents. Okay, so it sounds like America just air was airstriking and then the Taliban and Afghan um, basically foot soldiers were contact, you know, were engaging on the ground. Um, Okay, November 2001, the Taliban regime unravels rapidly after its loss um at somewhere that i do not know how to pronounce on november 9th 2001 over the next week taliban strongholds crumble and okay and the northern alliance goes on the offensives at multiple um cities and areas on november 14th the u.n security council passes resolution 1378 calling for a central role for the united nations in establishing a transitional administration and inviting member states to send peacekeeping and Uh, forces to promote stability okay so everything's kind of looking on the up and up it looks like there's gonna be peace made but then it says december of 2001 this i'm gonna maybe skip a few things because like this is a very very (laughs) in-depth historical account of this um but bin laden escapes in 2001 uh just of december like december 2001 and um, so we tracked Al-Qaeda, the Al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden to the well-equipped Tora Bora cave complex southeast of Kabul. Um, they engage and then eventually he escapes. So, um, 
Some critics will later question why U.S. forces did not take a more assertive role in the engagement. Yeah, so there was a lot of intelligence pointing to where Bin Laden was, but then the U.S. forces don't lead on the assault, but it's carried out instead by Afghan, uh, like the Afghan soldiers, um, even though it was the U.S. that got intelligence, or that got the intelligence. Um, so that's why some people criticize like it not being um, more offensive, and he escaped. So then um, Kabul fell from the Taliban, and so there was an interim government put in place um, in December, December 5th, and then December 9th, it says the Taliban collapses. So the end of the Taliban regime is generally tied to this date when the Taliban surrender Kandahar and Taliban leader Mullah Amar flees the city, leaving it under tribal law. So, okay, so Taliban has kind of crumbled. Okay, then March 2002, the title is Mixed Signals. This says Operation Anaconda, the first major ground assault and the largest operation since Tora Bora is launched against the estimated 800 Al-Qaeda and Taliban fighters um, in this valley south of the city of Gardez. 2,000 U.S. and 1,000 Afghan troops battle the militants. Despite the operation's size, Anaconda does not represent a broadening of the war effort. Instead, Pentagon planners begin shifting military and intelligence resources away from Afghanistan in the direction of Saddam Hussein's Iraq which is increasingly mentioned as a chief U.S. threat. Okay, so now they're splitting their time kind of between Afghanistan and Iraq, which, again, I've never really known how, like, the U.S. military was split up between those two places. I figured it was all kind of under the same umbrella. And it is all kind of under the war on terror. Um, But I didn't really realize when we kind of switched focus back and forth. So it looks like in 2002, that's when they kind of switched their focus to Iraq. Okay, um, so in April of 2002, it says reconstructing Afghanistan. George Bush calls for the reconstruction of Afghanistan in the speech held at the Virginia Military Institute. He said, by helping to build an Afghanistan that is free from this evil and is a better place to live, we are working in the best traditions of George Marshall. Um, And in that, he's talking about the post-World War II Marshall Plan that revived Western Europe. Now, I still have to do the history of World War II, so this will definitely be a part that I talk about as a Marshall Plan, because this very, like, really sparked my curiosity about what they did to revive Europe (laughs) after World War II. Um, They uh, spent $38 billion in humanitarian and reconstruction efforts um, to assist Afghanistan from 2001 to 2009. Okay, so then there was a transitional government named in 2002 in Afghanistan. And then in November of 2002, they established a reconstruction model. So they create a civil affairs framework to coordinate redevelopment with UN and non-governmental organizations and to expand the authority of the Kabul government. So this is the effort to create a stable government over in Afghanistan so that these, you know, bad players don't end up coming to power again. It says, um, the model is not universally praised. Concern mounts that this system lacks central controlling authority and is disorganized. So it kind of created like states. They're called provincial reconstruction teams or PRTs. They're stood up in different parts of Afghanistan. And it says command for individual PRTs is eventually handed over to NATO states. Um... 
so yeah, people think it's like disorganized and there's no one central authority. And um, so it becomes like a common criticism of this, this uh, structure that is created. In, on May 1st, 2003, the title is Major Combat Over. It said, during a briefing with reporters in Kabul, Security of Defense Donald Rumsfeld declares the end of major combat. Um, George W. Bush then said, mission accomplished, declaration of an end to fighting in Iraq. And um, he said, we have concluded that we are at a point where we clearly have moved from major combat activity to a period of stability and stabilization and reconstruction activities. Only 8,000 soldiers were stationed in Afghanistan. Um, it is predicted that the transition from combat to reconstruction will open the door for many aid organizations uh, to send in supplies. So they thought that it was kind of done, it sounds like. Um, okay, and then it says, August 8th of 2003, an international mission. It says the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is NATO that I was talking about before, assumes control of the international security forces in Afghanistan. It expands NATO across the country. Um, let's see. Originally tasked with securing Kabul and its surrounding areas, NATO expands in September. Um, okay, so NATO is starting to expand. Then in 2004, there is a constitution. An assembly of 502 Afghan delegates agree on a constitution for Afghanistan, creating a strong presidential system intended to unite the country's various ethnic groups. Okay, so that is good. That all seems good. There's a new president, October 9th of 2004. There was a a vote. It says in historic national balloting, Karzai becomes the first democratically elected head of Afghanistan. Now, I didn't actually ever know that they were a democracy at any point. So that's cool. This is the first um, elected, like a voted for president of the country. Um, let's see. Karzai's election victory is marred by accusations of fraud by his opponents and by the kidnapping of three foreign UN election workers by a militant group. Um, but the election is nonetheless hailed as a victory for the fragile nation. Afghans had not gone to the polls since 1969 when they cast ballots in parliamentary elections. Okay. So there was like um, some voting that had happened back in like basically the 70s, but nothing since then. Okay. Then bin Laden surfaces in 2004. So late in 2004, um, Osama bin Laden releases a videotaped message three weeks after the country's presidential election and days before the U.S. polls. Um, in remarks aired on the Arab television network Al Jazeera, bin Laden taunts the Bush administration and takes responsibility for the attacks of 9-11. Um, and then bin Laden, the big quote from that one was, we want to restore freedom to our nation just as you lay waste to our nation. Okay, so bin Laden is here. And he just releases this video, which I also didn't realize. I just thought he, I don't know, it's so weird. Like, they, they, he escaped. They have no idea where he was. And then he just pops up with a video message, like, four years after 9-11 taking responsibility. So, anyway, it's kind of crazy. I did not know really any of this. Um... Okay, 2005, it says an enduring U.S. commitment. The Afghan president and U.S. president join, issue a joint declaration that pronounces their respective countries strategic partners. So we basically have a long-standing allyship with Afghanistan, with the 
actually elected president. Late in 2005, democracy in Afghanistan. More than 6 million Afghans turned out to vote for Wulasi Jirga, um, the Council of People and the Council of Elders and local councils. So the most democratic elections ever in Afghanistan were held at the end of 2005. So all is looking pretty well other than the fact that bin, bin Laden is just back. 2006, so July of 2006, it says a bloody resurgence, violence increases, um, there's intense fighting, it says, the number of suicide attacks quintuples um, up to about 140 in 2006, and then remotely detonated bombings also more than double, there were about 1,700 of those. Um... So they want to, as it says, as with most insurgencies, the critical precondition to the Afghan insurancy is the collapse of governance. Um, Afghans who lack basic services, the government's difficulty setting up its police forces, and the lack of international forces to assist with security. Um, so this, like, yeah, the, start, things are starting to, to get hot again uh, after a somewhat peaceful time. Okay, November 2006, it says cracks in the coalition. At the NATO summit, rifts emerge among member states on troop commitments to Afghanistan. So people, some people don't want to send very many troops. Some people want to pull out. Some people want to send a bunch. But there starts to be some disagreement about what the level of support should be in Afghanistan. In May 2007, a Taliban commander falls. A, notor a notorious Taliban military commander is killed in a joint operation by Afghan, U.S., and NATO forces. Collateral killings mount, it says. That is August of 2008. So, also, like, this is when Obama's about to be president. And when I think about when Obama was president, like, I remember clearly when he was elected. But around that time when he was, like, all this is about to happen under Obama, so before it was Bush, and, and I was, like... How old was I in 2008? Like 13. So I guess it's kind of normal that I wouldn't have really been paying attention to like Afghanistan conflict. But Obama was president for eight years from when I was like 13 to like 21 or so. And so, or 22. And I, I don't even have a memory of like things going on in Afghanistan. And I guess it's just because like things are always kind of going on in Afghanistan since I've been alive almost. But you know, all these major events are about to happen in that time period, and I just have no memory of it at all. So shows you how unaware you are sometimes, or at least how unaware I was. So, okay, collateral killings mount. Afghan and U.S. investigations find that errant fire from from a U.S. gunship killed dozens of Afghan civilians. <clears throat> um, U.S. military officials dispute that death toll in this incident, as well as claims that a separate incident in another province left 140 civilians dead. So there were a couple things that Americans did that they said caused casualties to um, Afghan civilians. Okay, 2009, Obama recommits to Afghanistan. New U.S. President Barack Obama announces plans to send 17,000 more troops to the war zone. He reaffirms the campaign statements that Afghanistan is the more important U.S. front against terrorist forces, says the U.S. will stick to a timetable to draw the most combat forces from Iraq by the end of 2011. 
So again, this has been an ongoing thing. This has been like four presidents uh, deep at this point. So um, yeah, it's just, it goes on for a very long time. Okay, 2009, Obama announces a new strategy for the war effort linking success in Afghanistan to a stable Pakistan. So now they want to go into Pakistan, prevent um, Al-Qaeda, like, because they think that Al-Qaeda has a safe haven in Pakistan, so they want to go and disrupt that. Um, And then, well, disrupt Al-Qaeda, dismantle and then defeat Al-Qaeda, make Pakistan safe and stable. And that's like kind of their link to Afghanistan being safe and stable. Um, let's see, a command change, May 11th, 2009, Security of Defense Robert Gates replaces the top U.S. commander in Afghanistan. Um, I don't think that's super, I mean, that might be really important if you're super into military strategy and, like, who everyone involved is, but basically there was the handoff, um, for who our main kind of command was going into Afghanistan, uh, intended to be to bring a more aggressive and innovative approach to the Afghan war effort. All right, uh, July 2009, it says new strategy, old battles. U.S. Marines launch a major offensive in southern Afghanistan, representing a major test for the U.S. military's new counterinsurgency strategy. Um, Let's see, the operation focuses on restoring government services, bolstering local police forces, and protecting civilians from Taliban incursion. This is just all making me very, very, like, realize how thankful I am to live in the United States. And I just feel so terrible for people who especially want to get out of their home country. Like, I mean, this is, Afghanistan by itself is, you know, a lot to deal with. Like, these civilians went through a ton and to always be afraid of, like, Taliban insurgency would be terrifying. But there's so many countries all over the world, too, where this is a similar problem. And they just can't get out of their home country. And that is just, it's, I'm so thankful I live here and I hope, yeah, it just, like when you read about these other countries, it just, I don't know how you can't feel like so amazingly blessed that we live in the West, you know, Um, with all the problems that come with the West, but like they're nothing compared to some of these, these issues. Okay. November, 2009, there's an Afghan presidential election. Um... More than two months of uncertainty following a disputed presidential election on August 20th, President Karzai wins another term. So there were a bunch of fraud allegations and he apparently um, won by only 49.67. He only got 49.67% of the vote below the 50% plus one threshold needed to avoid a runoff. Karzai agrees to a runoff vote. Um... But then a week before that, his main rival pulls out and Karzai is declared the winner. So it says concerns over Karzai's legitimacy grow and the United States and other international partners uh, called for improved governance because it just seemed like a very sketchy election. Okay, Obama's Afghan surge in the end of 2009. Um, Obama announces a major escalation of the U.S. mission. In a nationally televised speech, the president commits to an additional 30,000 troops to fight on top of the 68,000 in place. Wow. That I didn't realize ever that there were that many troops in Afghanistan. That is a lot. So, um, it says for the first time in the eight year war effort, a time frame is put on the U S military presence as Obama sets July, 2011 
as the start of a troop drawdown. But the president does not detail how long a drawdown will take. Okay, so he says, like, we should start getting people out by 2011. Now, 10 years later, we have everyone out. Well, not all American citizens, but all military. Um, and you know what's so annoying to me, actually, is that, like, sorry, this is going back to, like, the fact that I haven't heard anything from the left. <clears throat> when there was, you know, George Floyd got this, like, gold casket, and what happened to him was terrible. And <clears throat> what happened to, like, Kobe Bryant? He died in a helicopter accident was terrible but I saw yeah like I saw this Instagram that was like when Kobe died everyone posted stuff everyone said oh this is so terrible everyone mourned you know whatever anything like that happens here to like any you know to one person it's like okay everyone's posting but when 13 marines die in the line of duty no one talks about it it's so aggravating to me and like and then you see that <clears throat> biden was like checking his watch during the you know when they brought the bodies home um and and i heard that and i don't know if this is true but i heard that there were i thought there there were like two groups of bodies they brought back and no one was even there like no representative of the white house was there the first one i have to check if that's true but that's what i heard Okay, 2010, um, General McChrystal relieved from Afghan command. Um, he's relieved of his post after a controversial Rolling Stone article in which he and his aides were quoted were quoted criticizing the administration. Um, Obama nominates Petraeus, head of military's central command and the architect of the 2007 Iraq surge, to replace McChrystal. Timetable for security transition. At the summit in Lisbon, NATO members NATO member countries signed a declaration agreeing to hand over full responsibility for security in Afghanistan to Afghan forces by the end of 2014. So, the transition in the troop, draw, troop drawdown is set for July 2011. They said it should be ended by the end of 2014. Okay. 2011, Osama bin Laden is killed. This I remember this as such a good day. I do remember this when they announced that Osama bin Laden had been killed. Um, and I just, there was so much patriotism. Like, everyone was in the streets waving American flags. And that was a time when people used to be patriotic. You know, I miss those days. I mean, I don't miss, like, people dying in Afghanistan or any of that, of that but, like, you know, they show these videos of, like, the day after 9-11 or, like, the first football game since 9-11 happened or this day after Obama um, died and everyone was, like, waving American flags and so patriotic and I miss that when we could, like, fly the American flag without it being a political statement. Okay, um, Obama announces a troop drawdown in June 22nd, so he announces a plan to withdraw 33,000 troops by the summer of 2012. 10 years war, October 7th, 2011. The U.S. war in Afghanistan marks its 10th anniversary with about 100,000 U.S. troops deployed. Uh, he says that Obama says he plans to withdraw all troops by 2014, but serious doubts remain about the Afghan government's capacity to secure the country. Okay, then in um, 2011... 
Uh, dozens of countries and organizations meet again in Bonn, Germany, to devise a roadmap of cooperation between the international beyond the international troop withdrawal in 2014. Um, the president, uh, Karzai, says the country will require $10 billion annually over the next decade to get security up to snuff. Um, and... Pakistan, who was a, supposed to be a crucial player in this conference, refuses to attend because there is, um, yeah, I think that's like, I guess I don't know why Pakistan didn't attend. They might be an ally to the insurgents or something. Uh, I'm not really sure, but they did not attend. 2012, Taliban cancels talks, U.S.-Afghan tensions flare. So the Taliban strikes a deal to open an office in Qatar, a move towards peace talks, and then they cancel it two months later. Not good. Okay, in 2013, the Afghan security takeover is complete. Afghan forces take the lead in security responsibility nationwide as NATO hands over control of the remaining 95 districts. So things are starting to be handed back over. We're trying to have troops withdraw. Um, so it's all kind of looking better. In 2014, in May, Obama announces a U.S. troop withdrawal. He announces his timetable for withdrawing most U.S. forces from Afghanistan by the end of 2016. So it's getting pushed back, and we know now it's, it gets pushed back to 2021. The first phase of his plan calls for 9,800 troops to remain after the combat mission concludes um, against the remnants of Al-Qaeda. Obama says the drawdown will free resources for counterterrorism priorities elsewhere. And both candidates vying to succeed President Karzai have promised to sign the security agreement that is a prerequisite of any post-2004 U.S. troop presence. So, um, yeah, so we're starting the withdrawal, or at least the plan is announced. Okay, Ghani and Abdullah agree to unity government. The newly, the newly elected president, Ghani, signs a power-sharing agreement with his chief opponent, opponent, who had mobilized thousands of protesters as he challenged the voting results. Okay, so this, this is interesting. They were running against each other. They were major opponents, and they decide to basically share the power. 2017, U.S. attacks Islamic State redoubt. Um... The United States drops its most powerful non-nuclear bomb on suspected self-proclaimed Islamic State militants at a cave complex. The weapon is known as the mother of all bombs. Comes as newly elected pre President Donald Trump delegates decision-making authorities to commanders, including the possibility of adding several thousand U.S. troops. Um, the bombing casts a spotlight on the emergence of the Islamic State in Afghanistan. Taliban, the Taliban appears to be as strong as ever, and the U.S. military describes the war as a stalemate. So there's tons of suicide bombings, tons of other bombings, and Taliban is strong. Uh, August of 2017, Trump signals a prolonged Afghan war. He outlines his Afghanistan policy in an address to troops in Arlington, Virginia, and saying that his, though his original instinct was to pull out, he will instead press ahead with an open-ended military commitment to prevent emergence of a vacuum for terrorists. Trump says decisions about the withdrawal will be based on conditions on the ground rather than arbitrary timelines. So from what I have heard and understood, Trump gave more 
like of a say to the military commanders as opposed to just saying like we have to get out by this date so like make it happen he said like do you think that this is a good move to the military commanders i heard they had much more kind of freedom to to move how they wanted to under trump now again i should i have to research that but that's what i've heard um okay taliban carry out a series of bold terror attacks in kabul that kill more than 115 people in a very large surge of violence in 2018. The U.S. Taliban peace talks progress. Um, negotiations between the U.S. and the Taliban in Doha enter the highest level yet, building on momentum that began in the late 2018. So we they have talks and they agree to participate in an intra-Afghan dialogue on the country's political structure, as well as a ceasefire. Trump calls off the peace talks. President Trump abruptly breaks off peace talks a week after U.S. top negotiator um, announced that an agreement had been reached in principle with Taliban leaders. In a tweet, Trump said he canceled a secret meeting with the Taliban and Afghan President Ghani at Camp David after a U.S. soldier was killed in the Taliban attack. So there was a ceasefire, there were peace talks, and then they killed a U.S. soldier and he canceled the, the talks. But then the U.S. and Taliban sign a peace deal, or sign a deal on path to peace, February of 2020. The U.S. envoy and the Taliban's barter sign an agreement that paves the way for a significant drawdown of U.S. troops in Afghanistan and includes guarantees from the Taliban that the country will not be used for ter- terrorist activities. Um, intra-Afghan negotiations should begin the following month, but Afghan President Ghani says the Taliban must meet his government's own conditions before it enters talks. Um, the U.S.-Taliban deal does not call for an immediate ceasefire, and in the days after its signing, Taliban fighters carry out dozens of attacks on Afghan security forces. U.S. respond with an airstrike. So they're in, they're in the middle of talks, and they're, like, suicide bombing um, the Taliban for or the Afghan forces. Intra-Afghan peace talks begin as... Uh, as directed the next month, representatives of the Taliban and the Afghan government and civil society meet face-to-face for the first time. The direct negotiations, which were delayed for months over a prisoner swap proposed in the earlier U.S.-Taliban deal, begin after the Afghan government completes their release of 5,000 Taliban prisoners. Oh my gosh, that seems like a lot. Um... Both sides express eagerness to bring peace to Afghanistan and establish a framework for Afghan society after U.S. troops withdraw. Um, the Taliban reiterates its call for the country to be governed through an Islamic system. So, talks are beginning within within Afghanistan. So, U.S. is not involved in that. Okay, then U.S. announces troop withdrawal end of 2020. Um, announces to have the number of troops to 2,500 by mid-January, days before President-elect Joe Biden will be inaugurated. Thousands of troops had already been pulled out following an agreement with the Taliban in February. Um, moving closer to fulfilling Trump's campaign promise to end the so-called forever wars. So this is where I don't know if this power suck and terrible things would have happened if Trump had done his plan or if it was like truly Biden going off course. I don't know that. And I can't say that with confidence. So that is yet to be seen. 
But then April 14th, Biden decides on complete U.S. withdrawal by 9-11. They had since moved that up to August 31st. Then, as we know, um, the Afghan government completely collapses and the Taliban take Kabul. So they just march across the country with little resistance, they said. And if you look at like old timestamps of videos, they say, okay, like people would be reporting and they say, oh, the Taliban, it's very, very unlikely the Taliban would take over um, the entire country. And then like two days later, they're like, the Taliban have taken over the entire country. And it's just very sad. So it says, facing little resistance, Taliban fighters overrun the capital. Uh, Biden defends his withdrawal and says like, um, his administration made the right decision in, in ending U.S. military involvement. He acknowledges the troop withdrawal has been messy and blames Afghan security forces for failing to counter the Taliban. And I saw a lot of people on, online mad about that because our military works so closely with the Afghan forces that they're like, we trained them well, they did their job, but it was our fault for having such a bad withdrawal. And then 13 U.S. service members were killed in a scramble to withdraw. 13 U.S. service members are killed at at least 18 injured in an attack at a checkpoint outside the Kabul airport. Um, so yeah, so I think a lot of people have seen the videos of the Kabul airport, like people trying to hang off the sides of planes, falling. Um, I saw a video of someone getting, like an Afghan citizen getting hung by a helicopter that um, we apparently left behind. Now all of this, I feel like there's so much information coming out of Afghanistan right now that it's hard to know what's real or what's not real, but um, there's just some terrible things happening over there. So um, that's pretty much it for this week's episode. I, again, there's a few things that I still need to like go research about the withdrawal strategies and, and things like that, but I will, I'm sure be keeping like, I'll be making updates um, on this as we go. Uh, because I'm sure a lot more is going to be coming out. But there's some terrible things there. So we'll just be praying for the people of Afghanistan and that our um, American citizens can get back. So that is all for this week's episode. I will be back on Thursday with our Bible episode. Um, we're going through Proverbs and some of the other Old Testament books. So I will see you on Thursday. Bye, everyone.